Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast for the latest episodes and new updates. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Podcast. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Also, this Sunday, we'll be having a 9 a.m. indoor service and 10.30 outdoor service in English and 11.45 indoor service in Spanish. I'm really excited this morning to be here uh, for more than a few reasons, but for what's going to happen right now. Uh, I came to this church 12 years ago, and uh, when I came 12 years ago, I was a pastor to uh, middle schoolers mainly, and one of my middle schoolers, I will say one of my favorite, I can say that now, I couldn't say it then probably, that I got to minister to uh, was Olivia Michael because of getting to see God work in her life. And she had no idea at that time, and I didn't have any idea at that time what God might do in her life. But wouldn't you know, God would call her to ministry, and wouldn't you know that God would invite her back to her home church to serve and and to lead our students and our young people. And so I've invited Pastor Olivia to come this morning and share a word. As we launch into some student ministries tonight, I thought this would be a great uh, morning for us to hear from our leader over our students as she continues in our series, Relationship Rules. So would you welcome her now this morning? Well, good morning, church. What a fun Sunday to be with you guys this morning. This is great. Seeing all you guys in the building for the first time since like March, I think. It's awesome. So for those who don't know me, my name is Olivia. I am the pastor to our students here. But this morning, I want to tell you a story. I want to paint a picture for you. So let's go back to 2005. Now, some of you knew me in 2005, so this story will make quite a bit of sense to you, but the truth is, I don't think that 2005 Olivia is so different than 2020 Olivia. I think maybe 2005 Olivia was a little less refined, maybe had less social cues, less social skills, but the truth about me in 2005 is that I really like to be heard. Now some of you are like, yes, that is very true, she liked to be heard, and I also like to be right. I really like to be right. And I really liked to share my truth. I liked to speak my truth. And it didn't really matter to me if my truth was not your truth. I really needed you to hear it. So on this particular day in 2005, I'm sitting on the back of the school bus, and I'm sitting next to a girl that I've grown up with. I've, I've known her for a while. And I know that we are a bit different. I know that we have been raised different, have different values, but I didn't quite know the extent of our differences until that day. So on that day, this girl on the back of the school bus decided to confide in me and tell me that she was an atheist. And immediately, my mind went to, this is the time that they tell you about in church. This is what I've been preparing for. I get to tell this girl how wrong she is about the God I serve. And so my pitch to Christianity went something like this. You mean to tell me that you're going to risk spending an eternity in hell? Don't you think maybe you should just play it safe and choose to believe in the God I serve and maybe have a little bit of a safer option? And I was, I was really proud of that 
But other than my bad theology, there was something missing in my evangelism strategy. It was lacking empathy. So today we're starting part two of our relationship series, and you guessed it, we're talking about empathy. So our second rule that we truly believe today is crucial in our relationships is that a relationship can be no better than the empathy that two people share. Now I know what you're thinking. Why is Olivia talking to us about empathy? It's clear that she has none. And to that I would say, you're right. It's something that I struggle with and that I've had to work on. Um, but I think that there's so much for us to learn in Scripture this morning. So this morning, as we dive into the word, know that we're learning together. And one more important piece for us this morning is to define what we mean by relationship. Now, Pastor Adrian did a good job of sharing what we meant by this last week. But I just want to make sure that we're clear that this is not a dating series or a marital relationship series. If it were, it would be ironic for a completely different reason. That's funny. You can laugh. But today we're talking about all of the relationships in your life. We're talking about the friend, the family member, the teacher, the student. But it is 2020, so let's acknowledge that the relationships that we're talking about this morning are the relationships that happen in person, but they're also those relationships that happen primarily behind a computer screen or your phone, or your keyboard. And truly, I can't think of a better time in our history to start the conversation about empathy because it's no secret to you that there is divide in our nation right now. Everywhere we turn, it seems like there's something to fight about, whether it's political tension, or racial tension, or even divide in the church, and today, I would argue that the divide that we see is a direct result of our lack of empathy. So if you've ever scrolled through a controversial Facebook post and looked at the comments, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I promise we will get to scripture in just a minute, but I think there's one more important thing for us to flesh out before we get there, and that is what we're talking about when I say empathy. Because the truth is, I think that we often get empathy confused with sympathy, and they're very different, but easily mistaken. So some of you may know who Brene Brown is. She is a speaker, author, podcaster, but she gives a really good example of the difference between empathy and sympathy, and I think it will be really important for us this morning. So she says, imagine that you're sitting in a dark hole. So go ahead, imagine it. You're sitting in a dark hole. There's no way to get out. There's no resources you have. It's hopeless. You have no, nothing to do, nowhere to go. And sympathy comes over to your dark hole. It peers over the side of the hole, maybe shines a flashlight down and says, hey, what are you doing down there? How's it going? How did you get here? Can I get you anything like um, a snack? At least it's not raining outside. So that's sympathy, but empathy and now I'm going to be a bit more dramatic than she was, but empathy, it goes to its shed in the backyard. In empathy, it gets its ladder out and maybe some water and a flashlight, and it puts it all in the truck and drives over to your dark hole, and it climbs down the ladder into your dark hole, and it doesn't really do anything right away. It just sits down. So empathy, it sits down, and it says, hey, 
I know what you're feeling because I'm choosing to feel it too. Let's sit in this darkness together. Do you see the difference? Sympathy is feeling at someone while empathy is feeling with someone. And empathy will always be the more vulnerable choice. It will always be the choice that is harder to make, but as I read and try to understand what Jesus says about empathy, I believe it's the choice that he has made and the choice that he is calling us to make. So we're going to be in John chapter 11 today. So if you have your copy of scripture, you can go ahead and pull that out. Um, if you don't, we do have an events page set up on the YouVersion app, and you can follow along on the notes there. But before we get into scripture, would you just take a minute and pray with me? Lord, um, oh, we thank you to be in the building, that we get to be together and hear from you, Lord. I pray this morning that you would speak, that you would move, and at the end of this day that you would get all the glory, Lord. We are here for you. We love you, God. Thank you that you are faithful. In your name, amen. So as you turn to John chapter 11 today, some of you probably are noticing that we are going to the story of Lazarus. Now, we talk about Lazarus quite a bit here, so some of you probably know the story pretty well. And the truth is, it's quite a long story. And I would love to read the whole thing to you, but you probably wouldn't love that, and honestly, I wouldn't either. So let me summarize where we're going before we get there. So our story picks up in John 11 with Jesus getting the news that his friend Lazarus is sick. Now Lazarus, he is the brother of Mary and of Martha, so we already know off the bat that Jesus has a relationship with this family. We know that he cares about them deeply, and when Jesus finds out about Lazarus' sickness, he says very plainly, this sickness will not end in death. And even in light of these circumstances, we see Jesus taking his sweet time getting to Bethany, which is where the sick man was. So then we read in the story that even before Jesus gets to Bethany, he knows that Lazarus has passed away. So recap, here's what we know. Jesus cares about Lazarus. Jesus knows that he's in need of healing. Jesus takes his time getting to the place where Lazarus was, and because he took so long, Lazarus ends up passing away before he reaches him. And so again, that's just a brief overview, but we're going to pick up in verse 32, and where we pick up this morning, we see Mary, the sister of the sick man, going to meet Jesus before he even reaches town. So she hears he's coming, and he meets her outside of the village, and this is what we read. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And verse 35 simply says, Jesus wept. So there's a lot more to read through this morning, but we're going to stop and just highlight a few things before we keep going. Um, and this is just a small part of our passage, but there's so much for us to unpack this morning. We see Mary right off the bat. She's desperate. She's grieving the loss of her brother, and I have to imagine it feels fresh. And I also have to imagine that she's frustrated because her good friend, Jesus, who has the power to heal her brother, came a little bit late. And so I have to imagine that she 
is faulting Jesus on some level. When we put ourselves in the shoes of Mary, her response makes sense. It makes sense to me that she would be sad, overwhelmed, and maybe even frustrated. But then we move on to verse 33, and we see that Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit, and he is troubled, and we think, there it is. There's the empathy. He was moved because of their suffering. But if you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that we can't just take the text at face value all the time. You know that the New Testament wasn't written in English. And so we have to go back to the original Greek and try and understand what's really, really going on. And so when we do that, when we dive a little bit deeper, we see that Jesus' response isn't exactly what it seems. So the original word for that phrase, deeply moved, um, is something I'm not going to try to pronounce. It would be quite embarrassing, but just believe me when I say it's hard to pronounce. It actually implies that Jesus wasn't exactly moved with empathy at that point. It implies more directly that he was moved with frustration. And then we look at the word that's translated as troubled, and we see that translates more directly as agitated or distressed. You see in verse 33, Jesus wasn't really empathizing yet. He was frustrated because of their lack of faith. He was a little agitated at the way they were responding to this situation. But that's not even the most important thing. It's not even the point that I'm trying to make. The next part is what I like to call a hot take. Now, there are two groups of people in the room right now. Group one, you're saying a hot take about Jesus. Okay, I'm ready for that. And the next group, you're like, what is a hot take, and can you say that about Jesus? I'm not sure. But I think it's really important for us today. Verse 35 tells us that Jesus wept very plainly, very clear. And the original Greek for that term It doesn't really imply anger or bitterness. Has anyone ever had like a good angry cry? Sometimes that happens to me, and so I would get that if that's what Jesus was doing, but he wasn't. The original Greek tells us more clearly that Jesus was weeping out of sadness. He was empathizing with this family, even though he disagreed with their lack of faith. He knew that their assumption about the end of the story was wrong. And the hot take is that Jesus wept anyways. He joined them in their suffering, even though he did not agree with the way they were responding to a situation. And I read that and I thought, hmm, I wonder how many of us can learn a thing or two about how Jesus responds to disagreement. He didn't argue. He didn't tell them why they were wrong. He didn't even fact check them. He just stopped, acknowledged their pain, and joined them in their suffering. And we could stop there this morning, but we won't. So let's pick back up in verse 36. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Did you catch that? We read that and we think these people just don't get it. I think about that a lot when I read the scripture. Jesus the savior of the world is weeping with them he's grieving the loss of his friend with them even though he knows the story he knows how this will end he's choosing 
to join them in their suffering. But even still, even when the Savior of the world is weeping next to them, their faith did not change. Jesus' empathy did not change their response to this situation. So let's finish out the story here in verse 38. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this is the ending that we saw coming. We knew that Jesus had planned to heal Lazarus because he said it plainly from the very beginning of the story. But let's go back and talk about one more important detail. Jesus, we know that he shared in their grief. We've said that a few times, right? And we know that that didn't exactly change their response. But let's look at verse 38 one more time when it says Jesus was once more deeply moved. We know now what that means. We know that as Jesus approached the tomb where Lazarus lay, his frustration wasn't cured, right? His empathy did not change the fact that he was frustrated with their response. But the important thing is that that didn't impact the call to fulfill empathy, right? So we've unpacked a lot of scripture this morning, and there's a lot of truth in it, but I think that there are three particularly important truths for us this morning that we just can't get away from. And I think that these three things will radically change the way that we view our own relationships. So this morning, the first truth that we learn from this scripture is that empathy is not reserved for the circumstances that we agree with. And this is challenging, right? But isn't this the point that Jesus made in the scripture? He certainly did not agree with the response of the grieving family. He did not approve of their lack of faith. But Jesus, he shows us the way of radical relationship here. So how are we to be more like Jesus and pursue relationships that look radical and maybe feel uncomfortable? And as I thought about that, I wondered, I wonder how many broken relationships are represented in this room this morning that were whole six months ago. I, I'm wondering if you have a relationship in your life that is broken today over a disagreement about masks or political tension or protests for racial reconciliation, maybe over the disagreement of the death of a minority. And these are all really heavy things, but maybe you feel justified in your disagreement. Maybe you just can't be friends or have this person in your kid's life who feels fill in the blank. Don't don't write me off. I'm, I'm not asking these questions in an accusatory way because trust me, I'm asking myself the same question, but I'm wondering how different our relationships would be this morning 
if we put our opinions aside and got to intimately know the suffering of our neighbor and our friend? What would it look like to get to know someone's pain before we tried to tell them that their pain wasn't justified? What would it look like to step into someone's darkness with the attempt to actually understand it rather than to change it? And maybe these are really hard questions this morning, and maybe that means that we're being asked to do a little bit better. And let's not lose sight of Jesus here in this story, right? Jesus, the only one who was actually justified, he could have chosen to fall prey to anger, and he would have missed out on a big opportunity to give God the glory. He, because he is Jesus, would have had every right to walk away because they just didn't get it. But that is not the story that we read. So in our pursuit of being more like Jesus each day, we must take seriously the call to empathize. And we must not fall into the trap that the people deserving of our empathy are the people that make us comfortable or that agree with who we are or what we're about. So the second truth I believe we can find in this scripture today is that we don't empathize to change people. Now, I know I'm asking a lot of us, but stick with me. I think that another relationship trap that we fall into when we are pursuing empathy is to do so with an agenda. So now we understand that we don't have to agree to empathize, but now let's try to unpack that the fact that empathy is not really a tool that we use to get people on our side. We see Jesus in this story here, and he's joining them in their darkest moment. He's climbing down into that dark hole of grief, and he's meeting them right where they are. And I have to believe that the same love that drove Jesus to Bethany in the first place, I have to believe that is the love that is compelling him to make their suffering his own. We don't see Jesus premeditating a plan to get them to understand here. So Henry Nouwen, he says something in his book entitled Out of Solitude that I think is really helpful for us today. He says, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand the friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate the not knowing, the not curing, the not healing, and face us with the reality of our own powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. And if I'm being honest with you this morning, this might be the hardest thing for me. Because for me, it's a lot easier to empathize when I've got a solution in my back pocket. But if we're really taking our cues from Jesus this morning, then we'll see that his empathy did not change the response of the grieving people around me. How many times can I say it, right? What's important for us today is that Jesus did not fail to complete the call of empathy when the people lacked perspective. Because when we go back to verse 37, we see that Jesus' weeping, it didn't even cause a shift in the response because someone said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
And because we know the end of the story, because we get to read as onlookers, this comment might seem uncalled for. It might seem that Jesus should have just heard that and cut his losses because, I mean, he tried to be reasonable with them, but they just don't get it. But that's not his response. If we truly believe that the fulfillment of empathy is compassion, which, spoiler alert, we do, we'll get there, then we have to understand that Jesus waking Lazarus is the fulfillment of his calling. He didn't walk away when his empathy was not a catalyst for change. Which leads me to my very last point. That is, empathy without compassion is meaningless. So put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Martha one more time. They just lost someone that they love, and I, I have to believe it's still pretty fresh. Then Jesus, he, he shows up, and they're likely disappointed that he came so late, but then he empathizes with them. He stops, and he sits, and he weeps with them. Put yourself in their shoes one more time. What would you have done if Jesus sat with you and wept with you, wiped his tears, and then walked away? Do you think they would have believed his empathy to be genuine? I can't say for sure, but I have to imagine that they would have been even more distraught, knowing that their good friend Jesus, who has the power to open the eyes of the blind man, suffered with them, grieved with them, and still took no action. I have a feeling that it would have felt empty, meaningless. But Jesus, he fulfilled the call of empathy by having compassion. You see, compassion is an action word. It implies something tangible. And I don't think that empathy is true empathy if it doesn't compel us to act. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus, he had a plan from the beginning. We know that Jesus had planned to heal Lazarus. And because Jesus is Jesus, we know that he will be faithful to his word. So I have to believe that nothing that happened in Bethany could have taken him away from that. But for you and for me, it's a little different. I have to believe that empathizing with someone's pain will have a direct impact on the way that we act, on the way that we serve the people in our life. So let's go back to 2005 and picture me on the school bus one more time. Empathy would have taken a much different route, right? Empathy, it would have gotten to know her story. It would have tried to understand her perspective, her pain, her life. Empathy, it would not have accused her. It would not have told her she was wrong or picked a fight with her. You see, empathy, it would have driven me to sit with her in whatever she was facing that day, and it would have called me to love and befriend her through it. So, church, I want to ask you this morning, what is your school bus moment? When in your life have you failed to listen, failed to understand, or get to know the story of someone in your life with absolutely no agenda? Or maybe you relate more to the girl on the bus. Maybe there was a time in your life when you so sincerely needed empathy, but there was no one around that took the time with you to sit in your pain, your wondering, or your doubts. And here's what I believe 
to be true for us this morning, no matter who you relate to in that story. I believe that God has called us to 2020 not to be barrier makers or division starters, mind changers, or even sympathy givers. I believe that he has called us to 2020 to be driven by love, to show empathy to the people in our lives that we have relationship with, and to let that empathy compel us to serve those people with compassion. And the good news for us, church, this morning is that we don't do it alone. The Savior of the world who is weeping with you, he's walking with you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. And I have to believe this morning that he cares so deeply about the relationships in your life. You don't do it alone. So would you pray with me? Lord, um, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you that you are still speaking through it, that you are active and you are ministering through your word to your people today. God, I pray that we could never shake the image of Jesus weeping next to us, that he cares so deeply about our pain, Lord. And I pray that we would see that image and feel compelled to do the same for the relationships in our own life, Lord. You are so faithful and so worthy, God. Teach us, help us. Lord, we give you all the glory for, um, for every good thing in our life. In your name, amen. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.